Salvation is just the first step in God's plan for our lives. If you'd like to know more about salvation, just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net and click on the Salvation tab today. We're reminding ourselves about our past and the things that we've done and not to help us with our future, but rather to bring us down. That's Satan. He's messing with your thoughts. You see, we're new. We're free to start writing a different story. It's like the first manuscript never got published. But God wants us to go deeper than that. That's like getting salvation. You are still going to heaven once you receive salvation, but you are missing out on so much more if that's where you stop the relationship. If you stop the relationship at checklists and do's and don'ts, you are missing out on some great, great things that God has for us. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just wish I could start over? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is offering us when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. He offers us a blank page, a fresh start. It's up to us to write the perfect manuscript. But with such a high degree of error in our human lives, how do we do this? Well, that's the topic for today's message. I hope you had a happy Easter, and I pray this word touches your life. Thank you for listening. Well, it's Easter Sunday. Amen. Easter Sunday. Easter uh, is the time where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It goes further than that, though. It's not just the third day after his death. It solidifies our belief system as Christians. It is the main tenet of our philosophy. Without the resurrection, we're no different from any other religious system. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is what sets us apart. It also represents a new beginning. His life, death, burial, and resurrection, they're what separate the Old and New Testament, or rather the Old and the New Covenants. Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice for us. There will never be the need for another sacrifice like there was in the Old Testament. He took all our sin on him. He gave us a chance at a new start, a blank page, if you will. We get to write a new chapter. We get to write new adventures of our lives when we accept him. That's what we're celebrating here today. It's not just a holiday. Tammy and I were listening to somebody talk about Easter as the biggest Christian holiday, and it was funny because I associate holidays with just kind of goofing off and fun and family. I don't know why. It's something about Easter. I don't mind Christmas being called a holiday, but something about Easter struck me different calling it a holiday. And I think that for me it was because Easter means even more to me than any other holiday or Christian festival that we, that we celebrate. That's just for me. Because, again, Jesus' birth was extremely important. But without the resurrection, we don't have our salvation. It had to be resurrected. And so I just, I just want to, to just think about that today, that as a result of his resurrection, we have a, a blank page. We have a new start where we can write a new chapter. Unfortunately, many of us only came to know Jesus as an insurance policy. You know, it reminds me about a guy who bought a parrot. He was looking for a, a pet, didn't want a dog or a cat, and so he bought a parrot. And this parrot was pretty good, except it had a real bad habit of just being rude and obnoxious and foul-mouthed. And the guy just really didn't know where it came from, so he thought, you know what, I can help this parrot out. So he began to just put nothing but positive talk into the parrot's life. He'd watch preaching and Christian sermons and, and clean TV. He would talk polite to the parrot. But no matter what he did, that parrot kept coming back rude, obnoxious, 
and foul mouth. Finally, one day, the guy got so frustrated, he started arguing with the parrot. And the parrot started arguing back with him. Well, that just really sent him up over the roof. And before he even thought about it, he grabbed that parrot up, snatched him, and put him in the freezer and shut the freezer door. And as the parrot is kind of fighting around in there and making noise and trying to escape, all of a sudden, the guy realizes what he's done. And not wanting to hurt the parrot, he calms down. And about the time he calms down, the parrot calms down in the freezer. Now he's worried. He's worried he's hurt the parrot or maybe even worse, killed the parrot. And that's not what he intended to do. So he goes to the freezer and opens it up, not not sure what to expect. And there the parrot is, alive. And the parrot comes out calmly walking, staring right at the guy. And he says, you know, sir, it seems I've offended you with my language and my attitude. I want to apologize from the bottom of my heart. You can rest assured it will never happen again. Well, this guy was amazed. I mean, that's not necessarily a recommended punishment uh, way to punish people or birds or pets or anything. And just before he started to ask the bird what made the difference, the bird looked at him and he said, if you don't mind, could I ask, sir, what did the turkey do? (laughs) You know, some of us got saved because we were preached to about a dead turkey. The awfulness of hell compelled us to change our attitude for fear that the same might happen to us. That parrot thought the same might happen to him. And so when he saw that dead turkey, he changed his ways, not necessarily because he saw anything better, but because he wanted to avoid ending up with the same fate as that turkey. And that's what happens to us. We, we get saved out of fear. That's not the relationship Jesus is looking for from us. He didn't die on the cross out of fear. He died out of love. He wants that relationship with us. When we get saved, Jesus gives us that blank page to begin a relationship with him. There's a song that I used to listen to, and I loved it. It's called Start Over. Now, it's a, it's a hip-hop rap song. I love it. Uh, you're more than welcome to listen to it. I don't know if it's your style or your flavor, but the words in there are just so good. And to give credit where credit is due, the song was written. It was a collaboration by Justin Ebock, Nathan Fierstein, Marcus Gray, and Mark Mims Jr. And I want you to listen to the words. I'm going to start out with the chorus. And it says, everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing, today a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders, or you could start over. Regrets, no matter what you're going through, Jesus, he gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders, so you could start over. In the verse, it goes on to say, don't let your heart be troubled, don't be afraid. To the brokenhearted that that wish that they'd Never been born, never been torn, never sinned, never disobeyed. I know you think there's no hope, but that's not true. Jesus saves. I know you're feeling regret, like I brought this all on myself, like I messed it up big time, and this time I don't deserve God's help. Thinking, how can God forgive me after knowing what I did, after knowing that I hid from him and I stayed away and backslid? Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came for the weak. Jesus came to give good news and to set the captives free. Jesus came for the poor. Jesus came with the keys. Jesus came to remove the chains so the prisoners can be free. You know, the lines in there really spoke to me where he said to the brokenhearted. I think we all get brokenhearted at times. I've never gone to this point, but I know of friends and I know of students that I've taught before that have gone to the next level where he talks about you wish you'd never been born. You think that there's no hope. You're feeling regret like you brought this all on yourself and you messed it up big time. And this time, 
You don't deserve God's help. Man, I tell you what, I, I have felt that before. I felt like I've messed up so bad, I don't deserve God's help. Now, the reality is we don't deserve God's help. That's the great thing about salvation. It's his mercy and grace. But it goes on and says, how can God forgive me after knowing what I did? Have you ever felt that way before? I know I have. Then I read this quote right here. It's about God can't use me. How many times have you felt like God can't use you because of the things you've done in your past? Do you seriously think God can't use you? Think about this. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And if that weren't enough, Lazarus was dead. So let me try this again. You think God can't use you? God uses all of us. What we have to do is allow him to use us. The old man is gone. When you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the old man is gone, the new man has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Some of us are carrying our old things with us. It's like carrying that dead body around. When you have a loved one that passes away, you go through a ceremony and a service. You honor them, but then you bury them, and you move on. You don't carry that dead body with you everywhere you go. Too many of us are carrying around our dead bodies. We're reminding ourselves about our past and the things that we've done, and not to help us with our future, but rather to bring us down. That's Satan. He's messing with your thoughts. You see, we're new. We're free to start writing a different story. It's like the first manuscript never got published. See, Jesus is not going to dig up all that old dirt and throw it in your face. Look at Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. How about white as snow? Isaiah 1.18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. White represents purity. God's saying this. God's saying to you and to me that he can cleanse us of all that old self and all that unrighteousness. He can set us free. Here's the, here's the chorus again. Let me just remind you. Everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing. Today, a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders or you could start over. Regrets, no matter what you're going through, Jesus, he gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders so you could start over. The second verse says, his love is deeper than the ocean floor. Run to his arms like an open door. God the Father sent the Son so men can come and be free and don't have to run anymore. Come to me, all who are weary. With heavy burden, I'll give you rest separating you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. 
Thrown in a sea of forgetfulness, what sin, what offense? And when those waves come crashing in, I'll calm the winds in your defense. His love is deeper than an ocean floor. And when those waves come crashing in, Jesus will calm those winds in our defense. You see, our relationship with him should be ongoing. It's not I got saved and I'm done. It's ongoing, which means as we go throughout this life, there's a chance we're going to mess it up. There's a high probability that we're going to mess up. But if you mess something up in your new story, your book that God provided comes with a spiritual eraser. It's called repentance. It doesn't just mean we apologize for a mistake. It means we sincerely regret our actions. It reminds me of the story of King David in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. And I'm not going to read that whole chapter to you, but I do encourage you to go back and read the story. It was very enlightening. But King David had slept with Bathsheba. He had sent her husband off to war and was killed. They had conceived, he and Bathsheba had conceived a son uh, through an adulterous affair. But he didn't realize his sin, mainly because it says nowhere in there where he apologized for it. He didn't regret it. He didn't tell God, I see I've sinned. I've done something wrong. And David, all throughout the Bible, is a man after God's own heart, it says. He was constantly trying to stay in right relationship with him. So up until this point, he had not seen it as having done something wrong, per se. I would assume he justified it to himself. To you and I, it seems very clear and obvious what he had done. But think about the times that you've done something and you look back and you go, man, I can't believe I did that. At the time, you justified it and you did that. That's what David was going through. So God sent Nathan, David's trusted friend and prophet. And Nathan came to him and told him a story. But the story was told in such a way that it was actually happening. It wasn't saying, let me tell you a parable, David. And the reason we know this is because David got very angry at the story. Nathan told him that there was a rich man who had a lot of cattle and a poor man who only had one. There was a traveler coming in, and the rich man decided to feed the traveler. But instead of taking from his own resources, he took the one lamb from the poor man. Hearing that, David was, he, he was burning with anger, it says. He was super hot. And then Nathan dropped the bomb, rather God dropped the bomb on him and let him know that the rich man in the story represented David. And at that moment, David had a revelation. He realized the error of his ways and he immediately repented. We know this because he talks about, to Nathan, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. Immediately. See, if he's not regretful, remorseful, repentant, then he's justifying it. He's defending his actions. He's the king. What he says goes. That's not what he did. At that moment, David was filled with regret, remorse, and repentance. You see, repentance is sincere regret or remorse. It's not just, I'm sorry, my bad. Regret is when you feel sorrow for a loss or absence of something typically of pleasure. And that's why David told Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Otherwise, he would have denied it. He didn't just say, my bad. I'll try not to do it again. He went into mourning as if somebody had died. And in fact, somebody was about to die. That child that he and Bathsheba conceived, as a consequence for his sin, it says, died. But it also says David fell to the ground before the child died. He began to weep and to mourn and to pour his heart out on that ground. 
asking God for his grace and mercy, just in case, it says, hoping that maybe God would have mercy and save his child. He was grieved. He realized the true nature of his sin and the separation that it brought between him and God. He didn't want to be separated from God. He not only apologized, but like I said, he threw himself to the ground. It confused the servants and the people around him because when his child passed away, he got up, wiped his tears, and sat at the table and ate. Up until then, he wouldn't take any food. He wouldn't be helped up off the ground. And so they began to ask David why this was. And he said, I did that to pour my heart out in hopes that God will be gracious and maybe save my child. Now, in that case, God did not save the child. And that sermon's for another day. But what I want you to see is that when repentance came in, David didn't even want to eat. He didn't care about anything else around him. He didn't take care of any kingly duties. He fell on the ground, poured his heart out, asking for grace. He was wrecked. He was repentant. We treat sin as if it's a part of our life and our lifestyle. When we mess up, a lot of times we just shrug our shoulders and say, Well, nobody's perfect. I know this because I've said that. I've gone through life expecting to mess up. The reason it was such a revelation to David, I contend, is because he didn't expect to mess up. So when it was revealed that he messed up, it wrecked him. See, when it's revealed to us we messed up, we go, well, I expected that to happen. My bad, God, let me me try that again. We're not wrecked. Dad was talking about fasting last week, and he explained it in similar terms. I'd never heard this before. I've always done fasting out of obedience. And I want to clear that, that there's nothing wrong with being obedient during a fast. But, but Dad was saying it ought to go further than that. When we pray for our country, when we pray for things while we're fasting, the reason we fast is because we don't have any more appetite for food. We are so grieved by what we're praying for that we're hurting that, that we want something to happen, and we don't really care about anything else that's going on. That's why we just stay at the ground and pour our hearts out to God during a time of fasting. You know, when Tammy and I are apart from one another, uh, especially for long periods of time, which doesn't happen often, I, I want you to know I feel it. I, I become a big baby. That's just the truth of it. I feel it. My chest starts hurting. I, I don't feel like eating. I call her up a lot of times and ask her how I'm going to feed myself. I don't mean putting the food in my mouth. I mean, where's it going to come from? She takes care of me. It hurts bad, always has. Now, what's funny is the first hours or two, I'm good to go. I enjoy a little bit of time to myself. But eventually that time fades and I'm tired of being alone, especially at nighttime. I don't want to go to sleep alone. I miss her tremendously. I do stop thinking about food. I've spent a week apart from her a couple of times, and I think that's the longest I've ever gone uh, where we've been separated. And I can tell you by day three, I, w- I, was, I was struggling. I didn't want to be where I was at. I didn't care what, what it was about. I was at a conference for children's workers. We were learning stuff about how to minister to kids, something I really enjoyed and loved. And by day three, I was ready to say, bump this. I don't care. I'm, I'm out. I'm ready to go home. I missed my wife. It hurt because she makes my life better. She takes care of me. She gives me hope. She comforts me. She supports me. She encourages me. She makes me feel like the funniest guy in the world, even when I tell some of the dumbest jokes. She makes me feel like I can accomplish anything 
and I'm the best at everything, unless, of course, we're competing at Candy Crush or other video games. Then she takes great pride in telling me she beat me on this level or that level, takes pictures of it and sends it to me. You know, other than that, she loves it. She encourages me and wants me to be the best. That feeling should be multiplied a thousand times when it comes to our Lord and Savior and our relationship with God the Father. But unfortunately, and I'll have to include myself in this for too long, I've treated Christianity as a checklist, a series of do's and don'ts. Did I pray today? Check. Did I worship today? Check. Did I commit sin today? Check. I better pray and ask forgiveness for that. Check. I've even created checklists in my phone to remind myself to do those things. And I guess I should say right here, we all start at different levels. Again, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If that's where you're at and that's what you have to do, please, by all means, keep doing it. But God wants us to go deeper than that. That's like getting salvation. You are still going to heaven once you receive salvation, but you are missing out on so much more if that's where you stop the relationship. If you stop the relationship at checklists and do's and don'ts, you are missing out on some great, great things that God has for us. Our relationship with God is way more than a checklist or a series of do's and don'ts. He has a benefits package for us. Did you know that? As a Christian, God has set you up with a great benefits package and not one that you have to wait until you're retired to get. It does have that component to it. It's called everlasting life. But it has benefits to you right here and right now. Our job is to spread God's word to as many people as we possibly can to disciple people. Matthew 28, 20, uh, 20 says that we should go into all the world and disciple people, not just preach to them and spread the word, disciple them. But if we're not familiar with the source material, in this case, Jesus, we're not going to be very good at discipling others. I can tell you, and Tammy and other teachers out there can tell you, there's nothing worse than going to a, a, a lesson or somebody else trying to teach you how to teach. There's nothing worse than going and hearing somebody else tell you how to do your job and they don't know how to do the job. My favorite one I ever remember was a young lady who was a nice lady. She was working on her master's degree. She was leading the course, and she'd never set foot in a classroom. She'd never taught a class with children, and she was telling us how to teach and what would work. I can't receive that. We have to know Jesus in order to tell others about Jesus to understand Jesus in order to help others understand Jesus. We have to be disciples of Jesus if we're going to help others be disciples of Jesus. See, we do that by seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Doesn't it tell us that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As a result of seeking him... We, we experience life more abundantly. We seek him, we experience life more abundantly. Experiencing life more abundantly is that benefits package I'm talking about. It's called possessing God's blessings. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Possessing God's blessings is experiencing that benefits package he has for us. We'll lack for nothing, James tells us in, in chapter 1, verse 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Philippians tells us we can get the peace of God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Depending on your relationship with God, you may have to force yourself 
to go to church gatherings. You may have to force yourself to go to more prayer services. You may have to force yourself to read the Bible. You may have to force yourself to get alone in your prayer closet. And chances are extremely high that you're going to get bored, distracted, possibly even frustrated with the process. I I know this because that's what I've been living for the last two years. I've shared this with you guys. When I started going to prayer meetings twice a week and then on Sunday nights, man, they, they were drawn out. They were long. They got boring real quick. I was frustrated. But I promise you, if you just start trying, Jesus will come in like a flood. And that's what I've been experiencing lately. You start noticing a difference in how you feel at various events. The shows you're watching suddenly become unwatchable. The language you use suddenly becomes offensive to you. The choices you make suddenly cause you discomfort. You'll do things like buy two biscuits when you know you only need one. You'll eat that first one, go to eat that second one, and all of a sudden God will just wreck you and tell you you don't need that second biscuit. So you throw it away, or when you get smart, you give it away. You'll pay for movies you knew you wanted to see, and they'll start using all that foul language and scenes that you know are not appropriate, and it don't matter how much money you spent, you'll just stop watching it. Eventually, with consistency, you'll start noticing your enjoyment level rising when you go to a prayer meeting. You'll notice that enjoyment level start to rise when you go to a church gathering. You'll notice that enjoyment level start to rise when you read your Bible. You'll you'll notice that enjoyment level start to rise when you get alone in your prayer closet. You'll start noticing that you can last longer in those very same meetings, in those very same environments. You'll start enjoying the prayer that you once didn't enjoy. You'll start enjoy reading the Bible. You'll get so excited, you'll tell Pastor Eddie, you need, to, you need to tell a word that Sunday, every Sunday. Why? Because God is just, he's all over you so much. You'll notice everything around you begins to change. You may end up with new friends, less entertainment like TV, movies, and video games. You may even end up with different surroundings altogether. But you'll also notice that you feel better when you wake up as you go throughout your day and as you lay your head down at night. You'll notice anger starts to dissipate. Anxiousness goes away, and your overall perspective of life improves dramatically. These are all part of the benefits package as we spend more time with God. That's because when Jesus comes in, he brings light with him, and that light begins to expose the darkness, and it begins to drive the darkness out. Even after we've been saved, we bring darkness in when we sin. That darkness is what separates us from our Heavenly Father. That's why we don't enjoy those environments that involve church and God because we have dark areas in our life. You don't have to wonder what those dark areas are. You don't have to go on a search for them. As you begin to spend time with God, he will begin to expose those and reveal those to you. It's the same thing we talk about all the time. You learn the counterfeit by learning the truth. You don't have to study every piece of counterfeit out there. You don't have to study every sin out there. You don't have to study everything that's separating you from God. If you'll just start spending time with him and start getting into his word and praying, the truth will begin to get inside of you, and the lies and the darkness will begin to be revealed. Repentance is what allows that light back in. Once we get saved, we're saved. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. But when we sin, we still have a separation between us and God the Father. When we repent, that allows that light to permeate that dark area. It allows God to come in 
and allows it to be exposed and dealt with. You see, when something's wrong with Tammy and I, we don't have to get remarried. We just figure out what's causing the separation and get rid of it, and then we're right back together again. When you have darkness separating you from God, it's not a matter of getting saved again. It's a matter of getting rid of the darkness that's separating you from the Father. The last part of this song says, so whatever it is that you've done, he put that punishment on his son. You'll never come under his condemnation, conquer sin and Satan and his accusations. So dry your eyes, lift up your head. Hallelujah, God is not dead. Plus he gave us his peace and he took our guilt on the cross instead. Took our place and now we embrace a clean slate with the eyes of faith. We know unfailing love, unfailing love. It's not too late to start over. And then remember the chorus tells us everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing, today a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders or you could start over. Regrets, no matter what you're going through, Jesus, he gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders so you could start over. It reminds me of a story about Billy Graham as I close. Someone once asked Billy Graham, if Christianity is valid, why is there so much evil in the world? Billy Graham replied, with so much soap, why are there so many dirty people in the world? Christianity, like soap, must be personally applied if it's to make a difference in our lives. And I want to tell you today, repentance must be applied if it's going to make a difference in our lives. Let me just recap some of the benefits here that we talked about by getting that blank page for that new chapter, okay? We can start a new manuscript. The old manuscript won't even be published. When you stand before God Almighty, he's not going to bring up the old manuscript and say, nope, you're not in. All he's going to look at is that newly published manuscript. The forward, or if you call it a preface, an introduction, a prologue, whatever you call it, or chapter one even, can still be your past experiences, but they should be written with the lens of salvation attached. Instead of how bad you were, you can reflect on the lessons you learned and the grace God showed you. So it can still be a part of your story, but don't write it from the perspective of you're not worthy. Each chapter can represent a new obstacle in your journey. And here's the great one. The second you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you receive that blank page. But let me tell you one more thing you receive that's more important than that. Everybody knows that a, that a book is only as good as its ending. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that ending has already been written for you. It is the perfect ending. There is no better ending that can be written, and it was written by the best author we know. And when you make a mistake, take a spiritual eraser called repentance to the errors. No one has to know. Today you have a chance for a blank page in your life's story. Will you accept that blank page? And what story will you write? Today you're climbing a wall. You're still carrying your past on your shoulders. But you can start over. Do you have regrets? No matter what you're going through, Jesus gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders so you could start over. I'm going to ask Dad to come up and have communion with us and lead us through that. And as we do, I want you to reflect on those very things. The reason that Jesus died on that cross was for our salvation, for us to be able to start over, to give us a blank page. And that blank page that 
Herman's talking about was paid for in blood. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Today, as we celebrate resurrection, we also want to remember his death. The scripture says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of his death. And so we're going to receive communion. I ask you to take the bread. And when you look at the bread, you look at the body of Christ. Jesus first implemented this with his disciples. I've been told that the most intimate expression of love comes through communion. To recognizing what Jesus has done for us. This body, he took that bread and he broke it and he said, my body is broken for you. He was beaten. He was spat upon. His beard was plucked out. The Bible says they even gnashed their teeth against him. That's before he was beaten, nailed to a cross. Jesus could have walked away from it all. But he said, no, my body is broken for you. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for accepting the Father's wrath on our behalf. We partake of the broken body that we might behold. Would you eat of the body of Christ? He took the cup and he held it before his disciples and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant. He said, I'll not drink from this cup again until I drink with, it, drink with you fresh and anew in the new kingdom. But as we partake of the blood, as we partake of the wine, we're reminded that this blood was shed so that we could be that new creation, that we could have a blank page, that we could be totally forgiven, not just covered over, but completely forgiven. So, Father, as we stand before you today, Lord, we stand as those who've been washed in the blood of Jesus, who've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, who've accepted forgiveness for what, because of what you did for us. It's through the shedding of your blood that we now, we now are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. So partake of the blood of Jesus. God, you're good. You made a way where there was no way. You loved us when we were unlovable. Lord, we just say thank you. We remember your death and we celebrate your resurrection. Jesus, to you be all glory, honor, and power now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that he would cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you 
is manifesting itself to you, it will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.